0: Grieving is the worst part. It, it feels like death. So if there's a near death experience, or somebody experienced, you know, sexual assault or physical abuse or whatever it is, they have to relive it. And let's say they buried it and they never addressed it. And if a therapist were to ask them to revisit that, there's this concept of retraumatization that that people talk about. But from my perspective and my personal experience on some stuff I had to go through, was um, I had to grieve it. I had to like really, really cry, and that sucked because. You can't cry if you got your ego defenses up. You can't cry if you got pride. It obliterates everything about you. I mean, you feel like you're coming undone at the seams. That's why it's so much easier to just drink and do drugs and and be absent from it. Because to sober up and then to say, I'm going to sit here with this devastating loss. And by the way, that loss doesn't go anywhere. It just sits there until your body is done grieving.
1: My name is Johnny Elsasser and I am a former Special Operations U.S. Army Ranger and Tactical Commander to the U.S. Ambassador's Protective Detail. I have seen the struggle even the most hardened men have faced when they combat their inner demons, and I am here to shine a light on those struggles to show that no man is exempt from adversity and internal pain. Men from all walks of life share their stories of hardship, darkness, and perseverance so that every man knows that whatever he is going through, he is not alone. Evolution for men begins now. This is a Soul Fire production. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. We are featuring Dan Joseph. And this was a very timely episode as we are in November, which is Men's National Health Awareness Month. And we talk about some of the struggles that men are going through, specifically veterans. Veterans. And Dan was an officer as a combat engineer in a Sapper platoon, and he got his master's in organizational psychology. And what he's dealt with now along the way was, number one, uh, men of his platoon struggling with contemplating suicide, men who actually lived through the act of attempting to commit suicide, and he has seen others commit and be successful in committing suicide. And we talk about some of the things that come back, especially with veterans and really what they struggle with and how it really impacts them. And and the fact that, that it's hard for many to share their stories, it's hard for them to even want to revisit those conversations. And, you know, with Dan giving them a voice, hopefully this brings some light to many of you out there who know veterans who may be struggling and can reach out to them and can just say, hey, how are you doing? You know, is there anything that I can support you with? Because sometimes those opening conversations are the best things to help us really find the opportunity to open up. And on top of that, Dan's learned a lot about his Position and also how to humble himself through this black belt mindset because he's a very experienced Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, martial artist and. Also, it has helped him to really experience his level of strength and power in himself. So really powerful, powerful episode for this month. Make sure you guys chime into it. And as I said before, this is National Men's Health Awareness Month. If you do know a man out there um, who's struggling, or if you don't even know if they're struggling, just the men in your life, reach out to them and ask them how everything's going. Give them the opportunity to share with you. And hopefully if something is going on, they will open up about it and give you the opportunity to be there for them. So really appreciate you guys. This is an exceptional episode with Dan Joseph, a really amazing human being. He's got a lot of books out. Make sure to go to the show notes, check those books out, and also check out his website because he is doing great things to help all those out there who are struggling. So enjoy the episode and I'll see y'all around the corner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to The Art of Masculinity. Today, we're on with Dan Joseph. Uh, He's been genetically modifying Iraqis for his whole... Wait, no, I got that mixed up. He's uh, from Iraqi (laughs) parents. (laughs) What's going on, brother? How you doing?
0: What's up, dude? How's it going, man? You got most of that, right? Just the wrong order.
1: (laughs) Hey, man. It's all about (laughs) mixing it up and seeing if we can throw people off right away, you know?
0: (laughs) Heck, yeah. I like it.
1: Dude, I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, we've been planning to have this for a little while and we finally made it work. So, this is going to be super exciting. I really love your background. I love how you're impacting the world today. We got a lot to dive into. And, dude, do you just like, do you ever stop writing books at this point? Cause, like, I see you got so many even lined up that aren't even out yet, right? Is <laughs> from your website. I'm actually
0: taking a break right now. It's been about a week or two that I haven't written much just been working on some other stuff and yeah it's my it's I was on a on a tear for a while man just writing and it was a lot of it was therapeutic for myself you know so it was kind of selfish it doesn't look as selfish but I think at least for me when I write it's it's just to get like bro just to get the demons out man and figure out left from right and then I mean shoot if people buy it and it helps other people that's that's awesome but predominantly it's just I got a lot of crazy going on. I got my own issues and putting it on paper. It's a, it's a practice in like meditation, really.
1: Yeah, no, I hear you, bro. I do the same thing. And and that's kind of where I've come from with writing is I have so much content that I haven't even published, but it's like a lot of stuff. It's therapeutic for me to just get things out of my head and allow it to like free reign out in the real world and then focus my mind on other things that I think can be more productive or more helpful in a lot of ways. Right. Definitely. I love that brother. Well, Hey man, let's dive a little bit into your past. Now I know it, but I can't do it as much justice as ever as you can. Uh, so let's give people a little bit of background and we're going to jump into your story here because I think it's super powerful. Um, I'll give a couple of snippets. He wasn't genetically modifying Iraqis. He's got uh, Iraqi immigrant parents from the 70s that came over and they solidified their family here in America. Dan has served in the US military as an officer combat engineer on a sapper platoon. Really cool guys. I love love the sapper dudes. I was a regimental master breacher for ranger battalion and that was a lot of fun so i have a lot of respect for people who play with explosives you played a lot with c4 uh,
0: didn't you different shapes oh, and all yeah that good stuff
1: oh yeah, yeah man a lot of fun a lot of fun but i have a lot of respect for uh explosives and people who love playing with them you know it's like the ultimate boy <laughs> dream right
0: <laughs> don't don't eat the c4 that's what they told us do not put the c4 in your mouth <laughs> it's not as sophisticated it. as it looks but
1: yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man. So we'll start there, brother, you know, with your military background and, and kind of where you're coming from and take us through what got you into really even writing and and helping people the way that you have today. I mean, that starts
0: with my soldier, Cody. He um survived his suicide attempt my last week as platoon leader. And that, that like shook me Um, because, you know, I was talking to the guy looking at him as he's alive and breathing and I'm thinking, bro, you, you almost took yourself out of the world. Like what the heck was that about? And, uh, come to find out, you know, mental health is just way more, um, I want to say like elaborate, way more complex than, than even books can, can teach, you know, when it, when it comes to dealing with people. So that was some of the stuff I was processing. Um, and at the same time, my buddy Austin, uh, so Cody wrote the, um, you know, introduction of my book as a word of hope to those who are struggling, you know, from a service member who survived suicide. And, uh, Austin is, is a, basically a brother of mine. And he, uh, he lost 13 men from his unit to suicide after Afghanistan, which is, um, you know, we can put words to it, but that's not something that is even fathomable to the human brain to know 12 or I'm sorry. It was 12. When I wrote the book after the book was published, a 13th um, guy took his life and he knows all of, you know, he was in Afghanistan with them, right? And so that kind of stuff uh really bothered me, like at a deep, deep level, because, you know, after being around soldiers and just seeing how I mean, you get it, like the dark humor and, and just all the stuff that they, they do and they put up with and they sustain. What really bothered me was that, you know, there's not bad guys out there that are taking their lives. You know, we can't find an enemy that's strong enough. And so they're taking themselves out. Just the irony of it is mind blowing to me. And so, um, they they're the ones who inspired me to write you know so it's i'm sorry to make a super heavy right off the bat but that's honestly my why you know and many times i wanted to like abort the project and not finish it not finish writing and there's another of that friend of mine uh kelly and you just tell me or cage as we call him and he would tell me like hey man who what's the reason you're writing like why are you writing writing this book i'm like for cody and for austin predominantly and he said okay then only focus on those guys. Like screw everybody else. Um and I, I've never been combat deployed. I was in a non-deployable unit. But a lot of my peers were, you know, in for many years, like over a decade in different war zones. And just what they taught me about what goes on in their minds and the stuff they deal with, like their their version of normal is insane. Um from the stuff that they've seen they've seen in, in the Middle East, you know, and um It's just, I love those guys, man, for, for what they're willing to carry that they don't talk about, you know, and they don't get awards for that stuff. There's, it's invisible stuff, man. It's really tough to bring up. And so I just wanted them to not feel like freaks in their own skin, you know?
1: Yeah, that's powerful brother. And there's a lot so much that you know, our combat vets hold deep down that they don't share because they feel like they'll be looked at as freaks or some kind of abnormality if they share that with somebody who doesn't really understand. So really understand, like, it's really cool to listen that you're hearing their stories and then you're putting it into words for the world to see. So then these guys can feel like they're almost sharing that inner dialogue. Is, Is that kind of what it feels like to you?
0: Yeah, and it felt really dirty doing that because I didn't go through those scenes, right? I didn't experience that. And I don't write too much like I don't write too much detail about what they experienced. It's more of like some vignettes, like some some examples of what what they went through because I, you know, opsec and stuff, right? Some guys are still in military, some guys are still operators. Um, but the big thing was, you know, and I asked them multiple times. I was like, "Hey, dude, are you sure you want me to even even like brush this subject that you you talked to me about because a, it's super heavy and I don't want you to be pissed that I took your story and, and gave it to the world without your permission. But two, it's like, dude, you deserve the credit for going through this. Like, you deserve some sort of honor, some sort of pat on the back, a hug, something, you know? And they're like, no, nah, man, like, I, you know, I shared it with you. And if you want, if it helps other people, yeah, you can share it. Just leave my name out of it or change my name or whatever. But they said, uh, you know, I don't want the attention for it. I don't want to have this conversation more than one time. I don't want to, have to relive this every time we talk about it because, bro, they'd share stuff with me. And then for like three days, they'd have a hangover. And for anybody who's been through therapy, if you've revealed trauma to a therapist or whatever, like you feel gross for a few days. Like you feel like you had the flu just because your body stored. It took so much energy to store that memory and store that stuff. And then you let it out over, you know, some scotch with a buddy or whatever the case was. And all of a sudden, you know, they're having flashbacks or having vivid nightmares everything that they re-experience is like fresh, you know? And then I feel like a jerk because, you know, I've, I made my buddy go through this again, right? But that's why they're like, you know, I'm, I'm good having shared it with you. It gave me an opportunity to reflect on it and, and process it in a different way. Because um, I'd offered them a lot of like psychological terminology and stuff like that. But uh, it took a toll on them. And uh, I just felt really weird about putting it in a book, not having been there with them, Right almost like a version of survivor's guilt or like just shame from not having contributed, but they, they were soaked. They're like, Hey, thanks for listening. And I haven't really told anybody else this stuff, but if it helps another guy stay alive, you know, share it with them. Cause that's the point, right? Keeping other service members, you know, on this side of the grass, like walking around breathing alive. That's it's really basic dude. Just keep our guys from killing killing themselves.
1: I think that's special though man. I know I know it might feel like a little bit dirty to you or it doesn't feel like a genuine to you because you didn't experience it, but in all honesty, like giving them a voice and allowing that to be shared with the world allows other people to gain insight that they never would. And so it's 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 such a double-edged sword for you and I hear that and I see that. And on the same token, it's like, bro, it's it's really amazing what you did by putting that information out and giving people that insight because most people can't understand that or will never understand it, but to, to be able to read it and at least get some kind of overview is, is really special, man. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. It's yeah, it's definitely for these guys, you know, and, and I mean, obviously like for any service member, they deserve a ton of respect for this and, and having friends who are like team guys, right. Um, even more so how much more like private are those guys. Right. And so, A lot of the lessons, a lot of things they've learned, they keep to themselves because they can't put it out there. They don't, you know, they just can't afford to have their anything public. And, um, but that means it's just more weight compounded on them, more stuff that gets to reverberate on the inside of their skull that they're not letting out. And that's, that's what bothers me the most. So, what's the balance on help these guys talk, help them share for their, for their own health, you know? And at the same time, by the way, for like new officers coming in, new dudes in the military or gals, whoever it is joining, like, to understand the volume and the weight that your subordinates potentially could be carrying that you won't, you'll never know about, um, but it does affect them. And that's so important for leaders to understand, man, because just the way we talk to them, you know, the tone of voice. Like I've seen it. I've seen an enlisted guy tell a, a high ranking officer that he's going to put hands on him if he talks down to him again, because this dude's been to war. He's killed a lot of bad guys and he's not going to sit there and let some guy who's never been to war come up to him point a finger at him and talk to him like he's an idiot. Like there's zero tolerance for that. And I, I almost saw him thrown out. And, and I, I respected him for that because it's like, just as a, as a human being, you know, dude, you got to show him dignity and respect. And that's where rank really doesn't matter. You don't know what this human being saw. You don't know what he had to do for our country. So if you're going to talk to him, like he's stupid, um, And you're the last straw sucks for you because you're about to catch a, a royal beating, you know? And um, I don't know, man, That that's the kind of stuff that really impacted me. You know, that's the kind of stuff I observed as a leader is seeing that in this world.
1: Well, that, that's a great segue, because I love this point of leadership. And one of the big things about leadership, like, you know, obviously, uh, you probably know this, but that's called positional leadership, right? Positional leadership is I have authority over you given to me by by rank or by position within the government or something like that. Therefore, I get to tell you what to do, right? There's there's almost zero earned respect there. And um, people, subordinates have to follow it. It's not that they want to follow it, right? It's through obligation. And the military drives that. But as an officer, and I, and I dealt with this a lot too, I respected a lot of the officers in Ranger Battalion because the fact they gave all of us NCOs and they gave the enlisted guys a ton of respect because they knew we were the one doing all the dirty work, right? And uh, I want to ask like, where your balance was when you were a leader. How did you balance that concept of supporting the enlisted, supporting the NCOs and understanding that, that delicate relationship and not abusing that positional authority.
0: Yeah, so the opposite of positional authority is uh, moral authority. So moral authority is like, so I do jujitsu, right? And I shame, I'll shamelessly say that I, I train with Jocko Willing. so I train at his gym. Um, and so being around men like that on the mats has taught me a lot about what leadership looks like and what it feels like in a visceral, primal level. In the military, you know, I've I had a lot of friends who are enlisted guys before I joined who were like really dear friends of mine, like brothers of mine, right? And some of them are on the SEAL team. Some of them are uh, in the big Navy. They're rescue swimmers in the Navy, EODs, all because San Diego is a, you know, a Navy spot, right? So a lot of my friends were predominantly in that branch. And they told me, like, look, dude, if you, if you join as an officer, I joined at 32. And so they said, uh, first of all, your age is going to be an asset because you, you know, you got wisdom that younger enlisted guys may want to know about stuff outside, you know, because a lot of these dudes were raised in the military, right? They turned 17, signed a contract, 18. So they said, um, definitely offer that wisdom, but don't be soapboxy about it. Like, don't don't be condescending. We'll wait for guys to ask you, you know. But they they said that that's one thing. So be able to share wisdom and, and just be be a shoulder to lean on if someone needs it. But the other thing they said is. Don't ever walk into a unit as if you know anything, because you don't. Like you're the officer, you're the least educated. Um, yeah, you might know the rules and UCMJ and all that, but you know who are the guys doing the job? Who are the guys that took the book and then actually lived it out? It's like you know the spirit of the law, as they say, when it comes to looking at like a legislative act. Like what's the spirit of the law? Well, you look at you know doctrine, right? Doctrine says this is how long it takes to bang in pickets and put in a Bangalore and cut this much wire. This is how much C four you're going to need to blow a bridge if it's made of this steel or if it's this thickness, right? But then you talk to a guy who's been deployed, and he's like, "Okay, well, let me tell you what we actually do when we're over there." And then he teaches you about bipping and all of that stuff, right? And so there's just so much to what these what the what the enlisted do in a combat zone to stay alive. You know, they've done it for years, decades. So especially as a new leader, it's so important to to give them the the spotlight. You know, and and now that I'm out, I always tell this to, to like junior enlisted dudes going in that they're the most important guys in the brief. It's not the officer who says, look at my cute little marker and what I drew on the map because, you know, battle planning is one thing. And like we did a lot of desert operations like training, you know, and, and when I was in. And so you can draw something on the map that's like a click of obstacle or whatever it is. But what does that look like in 127 degrees and full kit as your dudes are banging out those pickets and damn near be like granite. You know, because not all the dirt in the desert is the same. Sometimes it's really rocky, um, and so you know, the officer in charge will say, "Well, this is what I want. This is the commander's intent. Go get it done." But then you talk to the NCOs, and they're like, "Nah, dude, that's that's not how it's going to happen. First of all, it's going to be 200, 200 meters because that's all you need, and we're going to canalize them using the terrain. Why would we build it out in the desert? Like, you basically you become the subject matter expert. But if me as an officer were to say, like, no." My the commanding officer said this. The, you know, the OIC said this. We're gonna do it. I looked like an idiot to my guys. They they'd leave me in the desert, like the convoy would move, and I'd be out there with the pickets. You know, and so, um, so I learned very quickly because of the dudes that raised me up, like my friend Buddy and Trevor. There's all these guys that I write about in my book, who basically said, if we ever find out that you talked to all list, of, I mean, they never said this, but I felt it in my heart that they they'd punch me in the face, man, if I were to end up being a jerk. Using rank, they they deck me, dude, for for going against everything that they stand for as as enlisted guys in the military.
1: Mm. Yeah, and and like that's it's so powerful because I think that's where we get a lot of. uh Uh, A lot of piss poor leadership in the world today comes from people not understanding that difference, right? And the fact that you were even open to listening to guys that, you know, by virtue of the military law like UCMJ and by the structure of a hierarchy you were in charge of, right? And a lot of people don't understand that difference between how to respect other humans for just being human too. Like you also gave them a lot of respect because of their position in how everything operates, but also you gave them respect as humans that have, have experience as well. That's really cool, man. That's an awesome balance that you were yeah, able to Yeah, thanks,
0: strike. man. I, I, you know, I wasn't like that my whole life. I have to give a lot of credit to like, well, one God, because that's why God really got me, he saved me through some some pretty dark stuff in my life when I was partying and around different substances and a lot of alcohol. But the other thing was jujitsu, man, jujitsu, like opened my eyes to, um, what happens if you bring ego, you know, into an environment where there's greater, greater men than you, you know, because a lot of these guys, they, they don't brag. They don't point to their rank. A black belt doesn't say, look, do you see the color of my belt? Do you see how it's like, no, just the way they carry themselves, you know? And if, and many times I had to get broken off by them because I was acting a certain way or, you know, I, I had a chip on my shoulder. I wasn't disrespectful too, too much, but, you know, they shaped me. They definitely shaped me and they, they they man, they put fear in me that I needed to have. Um, basically fear of pride, fear of ego, that's, well, ego defensiveness. Um, they taught me how to be, be open, be vulnerable, but be strong at the same time. And because, and they lived it by example. You know, they're, they're patient with us. They're slow with us. They don't, a a black belt trying to bully a white belt would immediately turn into homicide. Like a black, if a black belt wanted to go full throttle, like that person's not going to live. That's, that's how lethal these moves are. And they would never go that far, obviously. And they wouldn't break any bones. Even it was just so cool seeing how kind they were to us, um, on the mats. And again, a lot of these dudes being in the military, a lot of them being team guys, and having that approachability and just showing that love. Again, there's something so primal about that. And I, that affected my leadership a lot. It really did because, you know, by me getting checked on the mats, right? And knowing like the universe does not revolve around me. I am not the strongest dude in any capacity. I took that in uniform too. Like, I just, it would feel dirty to say, like, stand on at attention, respect my rank. Like, because I would just be reflecting on if I did this on the mats. Like, let's say I had a, if I had my blue belt and I looked at a white belt, like I'm a blue belt and a black belt earned that, he would like, hey, moron, get over here. I'm going to smother you and you're not going to walk around, right? It's just, I don't know, bro. It's, it's amazing, man. The, the dudes on the mats really changed my life.
1: Well there's there's such a depth of appreciation and respect that people don't realize especially when it comes to these environments of military when they come to these environments of martial arts like BJJ and how that respect emanates out of everybody in there a lot of people want to talk about like men being this ultra competitive ultra like aggressive type of human but it's like there's a lot of actually reverence and respect in these other areas that uh, in a lot of these masculine areas that people don't get to see on a daily basis. And you got to see that obviously, in your life, both on the mats and in the military. And I would like to ask, like, as you learned through both modalities, how to be a solid leader, what have you taken away that has probably propelled you just not in your leadership role, but also in your leadership of your own life and how you direct it in a way that you have designed.
0: I mean, dude, humility is the biggest thing ever. It's it's just at a psychological level. So I love neuroscience, right? Like I'm a cell cell bio nerd. Like you talked about it in your intro like I came from the biotech industry where they're engineering human genetics and stuff. And so I love the hardcore science about the brain. And humility when you see it lived out what it does is it, it allows us to turn on our prefrontal cortex and think these really higher brain elevated thoughts, and it it helps us to balance out and throttle the you know the limbic and the amygdala, uh, the fight flight response, sympathetic response, and all of that. And you see this; it's one thing to read about it, but then you see people do it. You know, you see people live it out, um, like on the mats, or a service member who's been to war and doesn't try to prove anything. They're just calm and. They they have this humility about them. Team guys totally exude this. Like every team guy I know, you'd never guess he's a team guy. He just looks like a normal dude, carries himself that way, not posturing at all. And and to see these people live that out like day in and day out, man, in their private lives, to see how humility has has shaped them and kept them from going down bad paths and has allowed them to, to modify bad behavior and turn it into good and, and channel it. Like that's the thing I'm always trying to strive for. And I have, I have my issues with ego and and compensating and, you know, being afraid of looking weak. So I'm going to act super tough kind of a stuff, especially before I joined and before jujitsu, but it's, it's forever going to be a part of my life. It's like, uh, maintenance now it's, I got to constantly trim the weeds out of that, that garden of my soul, if you will. And those weeds are always growing. They're sprouting up every, every second of the day. And my ego will get me in trouble if I'm allowing my pride to rise up. And, uh, like I'm part of a men's group and right now, and I, I had to tell him, like, Dude, I, this is my, this is daily. I struggle with projection or transference and, and just ego defensive behaviors because of stuff I experienced when I was really, really young. And so it's a constant reminder when I, when I see these other, these other dudes to like, you know, like iron sharpens iron type of a thing. But what I love about that phrase is we rarely hear about the sparks that fly from that, you know, ironing, sharpening iron, it, it's a violent. It's a violent process. You know, there's, there's heat to it. There's friction to it. There's pain to it, right? There's a sort of violence to it. And so for me to to constantly do that maintenance work on myself, like I can't do it alone because I'll get myself into trouble and isolation, like real quick, you know? And, um, so knowing who to look up to taking notes from them and then reminding myself, what is my ego doing to me today? Like, what am I defending myself over? Cause there's always something that creeps up, you know. I have to tell myself, dude, this isn't a fight. This isn't, an, you know, everybody's chill here. Like, be nice, <laughs> you know. Um, be open. Be vulnerable. I know that's a such a canned word right now, dude. It's such a horrible word right now. But, um, but what that means is basically don't don't come at people with your guard up. And uh, if you want to look at it neurophysiologically, it means activate your prefrontal cortex. If you don't want to say be vulnerable say, activate the prefrontal cortex if you're a nerd like me, because that's what it means. It's like, let me think higher brain thoughts, not survival mode, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. That's powerful, man. And and I think that, you know, one of the biggest takeaways I get from that, which I think has been so, uh, is, is very enlightening for anybody listening right now is the fact that you're, you're constantly working on this. It's not like you, it's not like Dan was like, I conquered this. I'm good to go. I never have to question it again it's like you're like no i'm working on this every day and i think that's a that's a big hard pill to swallow for a lot of men today is they they feel uh, at least what i gather from men i speak with is that they'll feel like okay once i do this one time i've conquered it right that's not really the case
0: no it sucks it sucks i wish it was the case but it's it's a battle it's a bloody battle man it's yeah it's it's oh that's like the worst part about Recovery, the recovery process in life. For anybody who's been like an addict or been part of a 12-step program or whoever's listening who's come from that kind of a life, um, when you go into recovery, you know, they say it's circular. It's like you're scaling the mountain, but you, you constantly revisit the same face of the mountain, you're just a little bit higher every time. Um, but that's brutal because when you're numbed out, you know, when you're drinking or taking drugs or addicted at whatever, distracted with social media or Food, cigarette, I don't know, whatever your vice is, it's it's like a pacifier, but it also numbs you out to reality in a big way. And the cool part of that is ignorance is bliss. You know, I don't want to feel it. I'm just gonna bury it, compartmentalize it, I don't want to deal with it. But once you start actively facing it, um, it's just it's like being a white belt. You know, you go to jujitsu and like every single match you just get tapped and tapped and tapped. And you're like, Why why do I come to this sport? Like, I've been doing this for six months. I get submitted 15 times every five-minute roll. Like, I feel like an idiot. I'm a grown man. and I can't even stop somebody from choking me out. Like, this is horrible. And I talked to my buddy Tim about it, who in, uh, introduced me to jujitsu. jitsu He's like, dude, that's your ego. And it gets most guys to quit. Like, the attrition rate for jiu-jitsu at the 12-month mark is like 90%. Like, most people never make it past 12 months. And uh, it's and I learned that from the black belts at the gym because... Uh, because To get defeated that much and to get back up and say, I'm willing to come back. And, you know, you're not a toddler. You know, you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s. Some guys start in their 50s or later and they show up, you know, having some of these guys can be millionaires, right? They can be super successful alphas dominating whatever industry. They come to jujitsu, they're helpless. They're like a little child getting balled up. And, dude, that is, um, I don't know. I, I try to build grit with that kind of mindset, you know, just sucking at something doesn't mean you quit it. It just means if anything, just don't quit, just don't give up and you'll get better. But you have to believe that on faith because you don't feel it. There's no dopamine. There's no endorphins when you just, you know, you're getting mopped the floors. Yeah. They're mopping the floor with you. You got to believe that I am going to get stronger. I am going to be at some point impervious to this level of you know, whatever it is. And then, but knowing that the next level is going to hit you in the face and that's okay because you're just going to do it again and again and again. And I don't know, man. I mean, I've met black belts that have told me, uh, I'm not a good black belt. You see that guy over there? He's a really good black belt. I'm not. Like talk about humility, dude. When's the last time you heard a doctor say, yes, I'm a doctor, but I'm actually not that great of a doctor. That doctor over there though, I mean, this, he wrote the book on it, right? That, there's such a sweetness to that. There's such a humility to that. I've never seen it before. I've never seen a PhD say that. I mean, I, I, but I—I I mean, maybe once or twice I've seen a PhD say that in the biotech industry. It's rare, though. But jujitsu, man, that, that's the heart. That's like the bleeding heart of the warriors on the mats, man. Is that you? Just you always got to realize there's someone better than you. Life's gonna throw stuff at you. You just. I don't know. You, you got to have that inner validation to keep going, you know?
1: Yeah. It's, it kind of bleeds into no, that was, that was great, brother. That was a lot of gold in that I think for, for guys listening. But the other thing that I also would like to tack onto that is that I, it's really just, it, Follows that old adage of trying to be one percent better yesterday or today than I was yesterday. That has nothing to do with anybody else. It has everything to do with yourself, regardless of what you're doing and how you're trying to achieve something in life. If you're just trying to get one percent better, even at you know rolling around in jujitsu, it, it's it's a lot. Um, you can take as many losses as you want because at the end of the day, you, you're if you're just progressing one percent better than yourself yesterday. That is a goal that is is really achievable, and it also, when you look back, three hundred and sixty five days later, you're like, "Holy crap, I got three hundred and sixty five percent better!" Right? Like from where I started. So it's it's one of those things where, as long as you continue to persevere and, like you said, stick through that, uh, there you have no way of going anywhere but up. You know? Yeah, man. Rock bottom's
0: not a bad place to be in life.
1: that's right (laughs) Uh, we all tend to hit it bro we all tend to hit it it just depends on how far that rock bottom is for each person before they start to turn it around but one of the things i also wanted to dive into a little bit uh, one of the things i wanted to dive into a little bit with you was your background with psychology and your your um how you have witnessed and spoken to a lot of these, you know, men who have either dealt with a lot of people who've committed suicide or uh the men that you've spoken to that lived through their suicide attempt. And I wanted to hear a little bit of a perspective from you um, from that analytical side of, of what you've heard that you can give to people that might actually help them from, you know diving into that darkness and thinking that that's the only possible direction they can go.
0: Yeah, so I just go straight to the neurophysiology of it. So basically, if you look at the brain as a circuit, you know, there's different circuits inside of the brain. Um, there's, some, there's some timekeeping sections of the brain. There's uh, the anterior cingulate and a few other, a few other components. Um, and I wrote about this on, on my website. Uh, essentially, the, these different locations of the brain collectively give us a sense of time. When people are suicidal, functional MRIs show that there there's different activation levels of these areas or inactivation of, of these areas as well. Meaning, like blood isn't flowing to those spots of the brain; they're not metabolizing oxygen and nutrients the same way. So, what they've what they surmise is that when somebody is uh, through in like serious depression. Um, they go into a deeper depression that stops them from understanding that things pass, that there's transience of time. So no, you know, healthy minds can tell the difference between a second and a minute and an hour and a year, whatever it is. When people are manically depressed, when they're in a really depressive state, they forget what time is and they believe that the situation's permanent. So what we would tell soldiers is, don't make a temporary solution. Suicide is a temporary fix to a, or it's a permanent fix to a temporary problem. So we tell the soldiers, like if you're going through something and it feels like it's forever, it's not. It's just temporary. Whether it's a divorce, bankruptcy, um, fear of whatever it is, whatever they're going through, like suicide isn't the right answer. But the brain thinks it is because it's sort of like control, alt, delete. It's like this hardcore reset of the mind. Is my thesis of what's going on. They, they just want to shut off the engine because the pistons are hot, hypervigilance is through the roof. You know, they, all these activations are going on through their, through the survival mechanisms of their mind that are not meant to be turned on that long. You know, cortisol's got like a 15 minute half life or something. So, or adrenaline, I mean. So, um, you're not supposed to be in a high adrenaline state all the time. But when someone is waking up and sleeping with high adrenaline, and cortisol and all these other neurotransmitters like loaded up in their brain then it's who wouldn't want to shut off the engine you know what i'm saying so psychologically that's what is kind of what they're thinking but unfortunately it that's not right because then they're they're dead they're gone and so um yeah it's it's so important to let people know you know you're not abnormal you're not weird you're not broken you're the engine is just running hot you got to let it cool down um, so it begs the question of how to do that, and honestly, that's self care. That's just letting people know that we all have the ability to take a load off. We all have the ability to to throttle down, to turn the volume down on some of the stuff in our lives. And so, showing people, especially soldiers, you know, young folks who are in the military, how to do that is so important because you encourage them to to go seek out those those methods in their lives. And there isn't one size fits all. Everybody has a different personality, different interests, but you know, letting people know you have a brain that is extremely sophisticated, yet it has, you know, it, it operates with very specific parameters. And the shame about it, and the suck, I that sucks, is when these dudes, you know, and gals, when people kill themselves, um, they didn't know. You know, they didn't it, it had they had known these things, there's a chance they'd still be alive. So it, it's like we're losing them because. I don't want to say of ignorance. I don't want to be disrespectful to, to the ones who, who are, who are dead now. But I mean, I've talked to a mom, you know, she's a gold star mom and I dedicated a, a book to her son, Jeremiah. And he, he died. Uh, I a pretty, it was a pretty gnarly story. And, you know, you can look it up in the news and stuff, but essentially, you know, she had said if, if he had known what was going on in his brain after, after Afghanistan, maybe he'd still be alive today. And that just, it just, you know, hurt. I caught like a knife hearing that because I look at him like he's one of my soldiers, you know, and soldiers aren't all, nobody has a perfect life. We all have different things that are jacked up about us. And the more broken a person is, the more I can relate to them just because of my own life and because of the, the guys that I've worked with, you know? And, you know, I want them to understand this stuff about about their brain. It's not just about feelings. We don't have to talk about feelings. We can talk about the, the neural, the neurophysiological structures of the brain and i think men would respond to that you know
1: yeah i think it's so enlightening actually to hear you speak about it from that standpoint that neuro neurophysiologically we're we're having a disruption there that's causing or could potentially be causing part of part of what we're experiencing and i think in that description it almost it almost allows people to feel uh not helpless and it allows them to feel hopeful right totally yeah, it's that's a that's a definitely a different spin. So when you talk about this, is there so is there something that you have heard of or something they have come across in these studies that helps to reactivate that particular part of the brain that could be helpful to give to people or is it kind of um is it kind of nuanced to where it's different for every single person?
0: Um yeah, essentially like grounding Getting them back in their bodies, you know, they just have to become present again, whether it's jujitsu, yoga, stretching, playing guitar, interpretive dance, surfing, whatever it is, skydiving, you got to get back in your body because the reason why is this. What, what I mean by back in your body is you become aware of your five senses um, because that forces the brain to be aware of the present time environment. You're looking at the present environmental stimuli. You're not in a flashback anymore. Now, way easier said than done. Way easier said than done, depending on the trauma, the frequency of the trauma, at what age it occurred, and also the, just how horrific it was. There's all these different variables involved. Uh, and a lot of this has to do with appraisal, by the way. Appraisal meaning if I got punched in the face and you got punched in the face, it might be devastating for me. But you might not look at it. You might look at it like, that was exciting. So you appraised the same trauma differently, if you will. And I need to be careful because I don't want to, again, make people feel bad about, you know, saying like, oh, you're weak. And that, because I've heard this, like, oh, you know, so-and-so is weak because that's how they, that's how they feel about it. I don't think It's like, dude, you don't know the background. You don't understand what, what else could have been triggered psychologically from that. Because um, our brain indexes different, you know, memories and emotions in different ways but essentially getting people back in their bodies man is is super important to do and uh yeah there's a body there's a book called the body keeps the score we'll definitely read that or look it up that helps
1: yeah that's a phenomenal book but yeah that's that's really good information because you know I, I that makes a lot of sense you're you're not living in the future and you're not living in the past you're living in that moment and that puts you in tune with all your five senses and i think that's a that's a brilliant it seems so simple, but it's not something that's talked about a lot. You don't hear people say that, you know, go do something that puts you just in that moment in your body. Uh, people want to get, you know, all kinds of different perspectives on it that can get very complex. But I think the simplest ones sometimes are the best, right?
0: Well, here's, here's the hard part. Um, you have to grieve, man. Grieving is the worst part. It's, it, it feels like death. So if there's a near-death experience or somebody experienced, you know, sexual assault or physical abuse or whatever it is, they have to relive it. And let's say they buried it and they never addressed it. And if a therapist were to ask them to revisit that, it's, you know, there's this concept of re-traumatization that that people talk about. But um, from my perspective on it, I won't go too much into that. But from my perspective and my personal experience on some stuff I had to go through was um, I had to grieve it. I had to like really, really cry. And that sucked because you can't cry if you got your ego defenses up. You can't cry if you got pride. Um, it obliterates everything about you. I mean, you feel like you're coming undone at the seams. That's why it's so much easier to just drink and do drugs and and be absent from it. Because to sober up and then to say I'm going to sit here with this devastating loss, and by the way, that loss doesn't go anywhere. It just sits there until your body is done grieving, and. What I, what I understand from what grief does is it, it disconnects the emotional tag from the stored file of that memory. If that makes sense. You, and you metabolize it. Metabolize meaning you got to go through the process of digesting and processing that emotion. You can't, and this was my thing. I would just be super analytical. Um, and I had a therapist who was like, Hey, you're, you've never really felt a feeling in like a long time. Uh, and that's because I was bawling at one point. Like, what? Like, What is this? Like, what happened? He said, like, congratulations, man. You're feeling a feeling right now. I had no idea. Um, and uh, the grief process is brutal, especially for anybody who's like me who had massive ego defensive strategies to avoid life. Um, and then the good thing is there is, it doesn't feel like it, but there is a silver lining. You do make it through. You know, it's not death, even though it feels like death. And then you come out stronger and then you, you cry less. You're, you're triggered less. You're affected less by things. Um, it's really cool. Like it's, it's really cool to see that. Um, but it's, I don't fault anybody for saying I'd rather be high. I'd rather be drunk. right. Uh, I get it, dude. I totally get it. Cause, cause it feels like hell, man. It feels like hell trying to process this stuff. You know, it's no joke.
1: Hey, everyone, want to take a quick second here and let you know about my new book, Design the Man Within. It is all about getting the everyday man the tools he needs to start becoming a better version of himself, but also becoming a man who loves himself and impacts the people around him positively. Go ahead to designthemanwithin.com and get your copy today. I am very proud of this book. And it was the book I needed years ago when I started my journey. And so I hope that it can be that door opening book for every man out there to start his own personal journey with tools and tips that I've used to help grow through some of the darkest times in my life to become somebody who looks at the man in the mirror and loves who he sees. So make sure you head over to designthemanwithin.com and get your copy today. How can people, how can, you know, people who are really hyper in their kind of ego and in their pride and in that guarded stance, how can they try to even experience grief? Um, Do you have any aspect to where they can see some insight there?
0: For me, that's, that's where the spiritual journey began. I had to like acknowledge for me that like God is greater than me. And I, because I want to be God of my own universe. And that comes with a lot of weight. You know, you can do it. You can be the God of your own universe, and build your own empire. but you know, we're all just one diagnosis away from everything falling apart. We're all one phone call away of a loved one dying. And then and then what do you do with that? it's it's sort of like in Star Wars, you know how like when when the whole appeal of uh, of Darth Vader becoming who he was was to protect protect his wife, like he wanted his wife to not die. He loved her. He was grieving his mom. Um, so if if becoming a Sith Lord was the way to, destroy evil people by becoming evil himself, it was worth it. It justified the, you know, the ends justified the means. And, um, and so, uh, that is important for people to realize, Hey, I'm, I'm doing stuff right now for survival's sake. That is killing me. Like my medicine is now my poison, but we all know, I'm sure at this day and age, we all know people of or maybe maybe I'm just projecting, people that have overdosed on drugs or have drank themselves to death um or straight up committed suicide. And it wasn't all miserable. You know, they're not sad doing drugs. They're stoked. They're so happy to be high. There's so I I know multiple guys who are on top of the world. Then you get a phone call, hey, did you hear so and so Jack Jack didn't wake up? Jack's dead. Um, or Adam's dead. Or Jeff's buddy drowned in the bottom of the pool at his own graduation party. Like I'd get these calls, and I'm like, "What the frick?" Like, dude was on. He just got a brand new Mercedes. The guy was friggin' dating the most gorgeous, you know, girl, whatever it was. And you find out like was partying on top of the world, complete alpha. He's dead now. And so I started realizing, like, all right, man, there's I bought a lie. These all these guys that I know. Bought the same lie. Um, and uh, that's when I realized there's something existentially different to life. Um, because you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. You know, you could tell somebody all their issues, but if they're not willing to hear it, zero penetration with that. There's going to be zero receptivity to it. It's not going anywhere, man. It's just going to fall on the ground. They're going to walk away for a minute. Like, didn't even affect them. Maybe down the road, it'll they'll open up to it but that's when they have to hit rock bottom. They have to hit a point of existential loss, a point of saying, my time is finite, I'm finite, I'm not infinite. Now, what, what are the parameters of reality in which I'm living? And then they, they obey those laws of thermodynamics, the laws of physics. I mean, it's really basic stuff, but it's, it's how the universe is designed. And for anybody to defy that, um, and especially to numb out and say, "I'm so high, I don't care." Like right? I'm just going to create my own rules. At some point, like you squeeze jello, it's going to pop out somewhere else. Um, and this is like such a universal truth. Same with emotions. You repress emotions long enough, you're turning it into a you know, a high explosive. Like it's it, it's going to compound in it's it's the detonation that it's going to leave in our lives. That's why people who are repressed or suppressed. Um, it it destroys their life in massively passive aggressive ways, and abusive ways. Whether they abuse themselves and act it in, or they act it out towards others. But um, a lot of times I see that my own narcissism was this kind of godlike perception of myself, and it devastated me. You know, and, and I'm glad I'm alive, but there's multiple times I shouldn't have been alive, and I woke up like okay, I should probably rethink my decisions because I'm mortal. My mortality was, I could taste it. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. Oh man, this is so powerful. And, and I agree with that. I mean, I've experienced a lot of what you're talking about in my life as well. And that thinking that you are the God of your own life and, and you have that God-like presence in, in your own mind. And it's like, then you get a big slice of humble pie through some experience in life. And you either take it as a, something to learn from and to help you adjust. Or you continue on your ways, and you continue experiencing these really devastating things until it gets too overwhelming. And I find a lot of guys they they'll get to they'll they'll experience that enough times to where they get to that point of deferring to some existential being, uh, God, you know, being there. And but they only do it in the times of hurt right? And then they fail to remember that in the times of good times, it's also kind of the same principles. And you talked about living by that and that's what's changed your life. And I can hear that. And, uh, have you seen that be the case through most of the people who've come out of this massive negative depression and negative, uh, lifestyles?
0: Yeah, man, a lot, a lot of them. And look, it's up and down. We all, we're all human. We all, you know, go to our default programming, right? Um, and I still struggle with it for sure. Um, but my buddies who've made it through dark times, yeah, man, they all, they all have found this sense of greater purpose. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a guy who's, who I've seen contemplate killing himself to where I'm like, I don't know if he's going to answer the call today. you know. Um, I don't know of any of these guys that have survived it without this awakening of, hey, there's something greater than me because the cool thing is, it's greater than my pain, too. That's, the, that's what I like about this. It presents this, this objectivity, this mode of objectivity, where you're allowed to metacognitively exit your own brain and look at yourself from this deity's perspective, from God's perspective. You look at your life and say, oh, these aren't mountains. These are molehills. I wouldn't know that from my stance, but it's just like, you know, terrain association, right? Like you could be looking at, you know, you have a grid coordinate to get to. And you're like, there's no way I'm freaking getting around this mountain. Like, this is the stupidest land nav course ever. Like, this is impossible. This whole mission is crap. And then someone else with you know the geospatial data is like, bro, you don't understand. There's a very level path. You just got to look past that mound, get through it, and then you're going to get to your spot. You can't have that perspective in and of yourself. I mean, how stupid would it be to be in the military and like go, you know, fight the enemy? And not know the terrain, and just look at it at eye level and say, I'm going to base all of the tactics of the battlefield from my feet standing on this little patch of dirt, looking at you know this three hundred square kilometer desert. There's no way. so you have the geospatial data, right? You look at things from space. That's how I understand God to be in my life. Like what's an external perspective outside of space and time of what's going on? Because I'm probably freaking out over fighting for a stupid parking spot. And what that means about not me being, maybe not being a strong enough man in life, to then realizing, like, I should probably chill out and just be grateful that, you know what? I don't have cancer. I don't have a a terminal disease right now. And I know somebody who has it. I know somebody who just told me he's got a few more months to live with with, uh, pancreatic cancer. Like, those are the things where I have to tell myself, like, dude, you literally just talked to a guy. I just met a random guy at a cafe who, had like an F cancer t-shirt. I'm like, what's that about? Cause it's all like rainbows and unicorns and it's just hilarious shirt. He's like, oh, I've got like, I've probably got a few more months to live. I'm just like, dude, what the frick? Like I was drinking that coffee. Like this is, this is an existential coffee right now. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the kind of perspective I need to have to respect the, the finality of life to know that I do need to live a very intentional life. And to just show love to other people, because I don't want to, I want to be all about myself and I'm all important and everything's about me. like I'm a giant toddler, but dude, how many people are walking by us that, you know, uh, are hurting every, I mean, everybody is, and I just had a conversation with the guy before the podcast. Um, I won't say his name. I just met him and he was like, he's getting divorced. He's a military guy. He's in the military. And uh, he talked about how he was just about to kill himself, but like, not too long ago. Um, until he realized it was because of codependency. Um, but when his wife said she wanted a divorce, he said, okay, well, I'm going to get my gun and I'm going to go shoot myself in that. And, uh, dude, it's like, how do I got to remember to show love to people because, you know, he doesn't look, this guy looks like an alpha dude. He's a freaking stud physically, like absolutely crushes his workouts. Um, dude's been there, done that, been in multiple combat tours and yet almost killed himself. Because of a break, you know, not just a breakup, but what I'm saying is, that's the stuff that reminds me, as a human soul, I'm I'm here to show love to other people and bring a light to other people, and it's not of my own accord. I'm too much of an idiot to 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 know this of myself. That had to have come to me from a more enlightened source, because I'm so caught up in my own issues that I need an outside source to poke me on the shoulder and be like, "Hey, man, remember, it's not about you. It's about other people." So try maybe for a minute today to think about somebody else. And I, I constantly need those reminders.
1: Dude, that this right here, I couldn't have picked like a better rounding out to this conversation. Cause that right there, just a mic drop, man. Like that that understanding and perspective you just gave, I think is gonna hit so many men out there that are listening to this show today. Um I mean it hits me to hear you say that because I know I live in the in a lot of that mindset too. I need that reminder. Uh, I don't carry that with me. And uh, really cool to hear your perspective on it and how you've experienced that in life. Brother, this has been such a great conversation. I wanna talk to you like all day because you just have such cool perspectives. I love the analytical brain, but I also love the spiritual uh, perspective you also take in complement of it. And uh, I wanna let everybody know where to follow you um how to find you and then how to be part of what you got going on cuz we didn't talk about it a lot but you do have a lot of books you got some in the cooker uh that are going to be coming out and you also have a couple from backpack to rucksack your combat psych handbook um is the black belt mindset out is that out yet
0: Uh yeah that's out yeah
1: Okay so that is out so i mean how can people find you how can they get involved with you how can they be part of your ecosystem brother
0: yeah. I mean, uh, man, poof, that last part made me really emotional. <laughs> Sorry. I still trying to recover from that. Oh, the feelings, Dude, bro. it was good, um,
1: man. You were channeling that. That was powerful.
0: Oh, bro. Um, combat psych.com is my website. Uh, my books aren't Amazon. You can find them on Amazon or just go to my website and like preview them and stuff. Uh, the the handbook is like totally free on the website. Um, you can also purchase it on Amazon, but it's dedicated to a, uh to a soldier who you know died by suicide basically and uh yeah i said it's a super complex story but because of jeremiah's loss like the book is free um out of respect for him and his family but uh but the books are available on amazon i'm kind of repeating myself that's it man that's pretty much it now i'll put these more books out in the next uh hopefully six to twelve months
1: Beautiful brother. Well, we're, we're going to link your website in the show notes. So everybody, if you want more of Dan, make sure you go to the show notes. We'll have his books listed. Make sure you check out his website, get involved with him, Dan, you're an amazing human, dude. I, I love talking to you. This has been a special conversation. It hit me emotionally to the end of that. I'm still trying to recover as well. So your impact with your words was, was, po- was powerful, man. Um, really appreciate the, your time. And before I let you rip out of here and uh, go play for the rest of the day, my last question for you is what does the art of masculinity mean to you?
0: Humility, man. Humility. Hmm. Having great power, training to have great power, like, but not, not flexing it, keeping it private until the appropriate time. Um, that's, hmm. that's what I've seen lived out. And I'm striving for that, man.
1: Oh. I love that. That one hits home for me too. It's definitely one of the preeminent themes that I believe in the art of masculinity and really appreciate you saying that. So, all right, brother. Well, to everybody listening, as always, remember that the world deserves a better caliber of man and it's our obligation to give it to him. All right, Dan, thanks brother. Yeah, man. Thank you.